Welcome, everybody, to episode 103 of the Bumper Sticker Faith Podcast. My name is Sam Key, and today we have a special topic and a special guest. I am here with Dr. Dale Alquist. Welcome to the show today, first of all. Thank you, Sam. God bless you. Yes, and we're here today to talk about the man G.K. Chesterton. But before we do, let me give a little bio about you, if that's okay. You're the president of the Society of Gilbert Keith Chesterton. I wondered what the GK stood for. And you're the creator and host of the EWTN series, GK Chesterton, the Apostle of Common Sense, and the publisher of Gilbert Magazine. Uh, You're the author of six books, including Chesterton, the Apostle of Common Sense, and you're considered the greatest living authority on the life and work of G.K. Chesterton, which I think is pretty cool. And you've given more than 900 lectures at universities and conferences and institutions around the world. And you're the founder, co-founder of the Chesterton Academy. And you're here on our show. So you can add this to your bio from here. I've been waiting to add this one to my bio. Thank you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, one of your books is called, you have, you have these great names for Chesterton, such as The Complete Thinker uh, and The Apostle of Common Sense, and you'll probably get into to why that is. But um, I guess to begin, I don't know a whole lot about G.K. Chesterton. I've read three of his books, Orthodoxy, Everlasting Man, and his Thomas Aquinas biography, but I don't actually know a lot about him. And the things that I do learn and read from him, I'm just really stimulated and encouraged by it. But you've devoted your your life to him. So how'd you come to discover uh, Chesterton? And um, I guess we'll start there. Well, you came to the right place today, Sam, if you don't you know much about Chesterton. <laughs> I think Good. So, did all, so did all your uh, your viewers. Yeah. So Chesterton was a um, English writer of the early 20th century. And uh, basically his career began in 1900, and he wrote till his death in 1936. And during that first third of the 20th century was probably one of the most prolific writers of all time. He wrote voluminously. Wow. He, he was uh, author of 100 books and uh, volumes of poetry. He wow. wrote plays, and he wrote some famous mystery stories featuring a, a priest, the Father Brown Mysteries. And his books cover all different subjects. Uh, certainly, there's a lot of Christian apologetics in there, but he writes about philosophy and politics and literature and art. And uh, and and that's just, again, uh, a fraction of what he wrote because he was primarily a journalist. He wrote for the London papers, and he wrote at least 5,000 literary essays and uh, on all different subjects. And we are still uncovering most uh, we've, we've covered most of it. We're still finding a few scattered things, but we have put together a, a bibliography of of Chesterton's writings, and the bibliography is three volumes. It's, it's just the bibliography. The bibliography is wow. twelve pages. <laughs> wow. So, so, so what what did he write about? Well, he wrote for a secular audience. He wrote for the newspapers. Mm-hmm. He was a journalist. But he wrote about God, and that's the unusual thing about him. He was a religious writer who wrote for the the secular newspapers, and 
I guess he he was a, uh, even a secular writer who wrote religious books. And so you put it that way too. Uh, his his advice to writers was to write an article for the Sporting Times and write one for the Religious Times and put them in the wrong envelopes. <laughs> the idea is that uh, too too many papers, too many journals are full of things that you expect to find in those mm. papers journals. And Chesterton has a very paradoxical approach to everything. And he always catches you a little bit off. And, and that's why he's so striking. His, his great paradoxes, such as the, uh, the self is more distant than any star. And mm. we, could, we, we can always uh, not see a thing if it's too big. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and um, you know, it, the worship of the natural leads to the unnatural and the worship of health leads to the unhealthy. Mm. And, you know, his use of paradox is certainly the most striking rhetorical device about him, but he's got, he's in good company because uh, the Bible is full of paradox too. Mm. You know, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. If you save your life, you lose it. If you lose your life, you'll save it. Uh, you know, blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who mourn. A virgin shall give birth. The dead shall rise. All of those things are against expectation. They seem to be contradictory. And yet Chesterton it, you know, does a marvelous job of, of showing and arguing and demonstrating that truth is paradoxical. Truth seems to be some irreconcilable contradiction, but it it is... It is the truth. The, the greatest truth of all, the central truth, is that God became a man and that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And you can't put those together in your in your brain, but you have to accept both of them in order to, to be a believer. The uh, kind of the mission statement of, of the website, of the G.K. Chesterton Society, is renewing the world through Christian joy and common sense. Uh, do you think we need more joy in our world today? Do you think we, do you think we need more common sense? So these are your softball questions today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, isn't it true that um, one of the great struggles of young people and all people mm. is is depression and despair, confusion, and people are just struggling. They are struggling, and uh, we we see the results of that despair and, and and depression in the worst ways all around us. Beck Chesterton says, you know, that uh, sin is the one doctrine we can prove. <laughs> we mm. can around. Uh, but, but Chesterton really does provide the antidote to it. Mm. Uh, if, if we look at everything truly as a gift from God, as something we don't deserve, we have, we have not done anything to merit God's goodness, even our own existence. Mm -hmm. Whole life is a gift. The only way you can respond to a gift is to be thankful. Mm -hmm. And you can't, you can never earn it. You can only be thankful. And you're, but you're, you know, as Chester argues in his book on, on St. Francis of Assisi, the, the one who realizes this is always trying to pay back the unpayable uh, debt. You're always throwing everything he says into an a bottomless pit of unfathomable thanks, hmm. a bottomless pit of unfathomable thanks. And, wow. and if you live a life that's informed by Thanksgiving, 
well, then you, you don't have time to, to be angry or to be selfish or to be frustrated because you realize everything's a gift that you don't deserve. Mm-hmm. You can't clutch it. You can only share it with everyone else. Yeah, Chesterton does a good job of, of jarring us, right? Maybe uh, getting us to uh, take a step back, look at the familiar and reassess it, right? And for me, he's able then to recapture that sense of wonder and thankfulness at this life. So like in uh, Orthodoxy, uh, I believe, where he's he, he's reflecting on like the nature of things and um, the fact that I don't know some of his examples offhand, but like if we see a, a, a bird flying, you know, in the air, uh, just because it's we've seen a bird flying in the air a million times before doesn't make it, uh, just because something is repeated doesn't mean it's that much less of a, of a miracle. And that's really, that idea has really um, helped me being out in this world, like just b- because we like to replace the miracle that God is doing all the time with these these laws, right? And, and, you know, it seems random to put a law there, but that's a way of, uh, I guess, kicking God out of that picture by, and replacing him with law. Uh, But really we're, we're constantly like, why do, why do, why do birds fly at all? You know, that, that's a miracle in itself. Yeah. Chester, that point in Orthodox is from his chapter called the ethics of Elfland. And he's, he's trying to reintroduce the idea of, of wonder. And he says, we, we can, we can get forgetful about mere repetition. And, and mere repetition, of course, is the basis of what we call a scientific law. Mm-hmm. But he says that the definition of every law is that it can be broken. It, and and that's, what, that's what the miracle does, is it interrupts that, that, uh, that repetition that we're so used to. But he also argues that the ordinary is extraordinary. He says the ordinary is more extraordinary than the extraordinary because mm-hmm. the miracle of each day, of each sunrise of each flower, each blade of grass, uh, is something that apparently God himself does not get tired of. That's, that's why he keeps repeating it. And he gives the example of the mm-hmm. child. The child you know, will say to the adult, do it again until the adult is nearly dead. <laughs> but because that's because child, children can exalt in monotony and God can also exalt in monotony and says every morning to the son, do it again. Mm-hmm. And every evening to the moon, do it again. It's a one a wonderful image of uh, of b- being constantly aware of the glory of God's creation. Yeah, you call uh, Chesterton the heavyweight champion of faith. What do you What do you mean by that? And, well, and, and how was he? Yeah. There's two things going on there. Certainly, there's the the literal heavyweight. Chesterton was. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. He was a 300 pounder. He was he was very tough to throw out of the ring. He was the man who called himself the politest man in all of England because he could stand up on a bus and offer his seat to three women at one time. <laughs> and uh, he, he says, "I he says I enjoy myself more than other people because there's such a lot of me having a good time at yeah. once." And so there's along with the you know with the great size is this great humility. Uh, mm. you, you know, he says the. Uh, he says the fat the the thin monks may have been holy, but the fat monks were humble. <laughs> and, uh, and so Chester has this huge humility to go with his huge size. He's always has this self-deprecating humor and and knows how to laugh at himself. And that's 
that's what's so attractive about him is is because he can he can laugh with us and 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 not take himself too seriously. The great line, another great line from Orthodoxy is angels can fly because they can take themselves lightly. Yeah. And I think Chesterton, in a sense, levitated because because he could take himself lightly. And uh, and then of course um the uh the heavyweight champion of the faith, he knew how to to debate and how to defend the faith in a public forum. He did it in both his uh, his journalism, where he took on uh, one of the leading atheists of the day in the early uh, 20th century um, journalism, uh, and and really just laid out why he believed in Christianity. And and uh, and interestingly, I mean, it was it was a very engaging exchange of articles. And um, people were saying, "Well, there's there's Chesterton being paradoxical again, uh, you know, just taking this wonderful pose, taking the opposite of, of what you'd expect him." Well, he surprised everybody when he said, "No, I'm I'm defending this because I actually believe it," hmm. and, uh, and that was that was kind of the, you know, that was one one of his first championship rounds. But then he, he went on to debate uh, people like George Bernard Shaw and H.G. Wells. Who, you know, leading thinkers of their day, but skeptics and 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 agnostics, but but he became friends with them too. He he was able to get along with his enemies. Um, there was no rancor in his debates mm. because he would ar- only argue the issues, and um, his philosophical enemies could not help but not only admire him, but you know they were drawn to him be- he- because he was so amicable. Mm-hmm. And then. Uh, and then I think one of his other famous debates was with Clarence Darrow in the uh, early 20th century when he visited America. Clarence Darrow, the Scopes Monkey Trial. Um, Chesterton really annihilated uh, <clears throat> Clarence Darrow on stage. Everyone voted for Chesterton as being the better debater and uh, and and took a much better job, uh, you know, demonstrating the truth of religion to uh, Clarence Darrow's skepticism. Hmm. How how did he how did he handle uh, evolution? How does what did Chesterton believe about uh, evolution? I know he I know he um, points out in Everlasting Man that uh, uh, kind of along the same lines. Just because some something may happen slow doesn't mean that God isn't involved in it. Uh, I don't know if exactly he was talking about evolution in that case, but. Yeah, um, he, you know he's he's not he's not troubled by a, an ancient Earth or ancient history. He, he says that you know Christian writers from from all the way back to Augustine um, preferred a, a poetic interpretation of um, of the beginning of the Bible of, of the Book of Genesis. But at any point, he says it's, it's clear that something different happens when man steps out of the stage. He says man is not just another animal, and and to use an evolutionary explanation of man doesn't explain anything. Um, he says the problem is that people uh, mistake evolution for an explanation. That That's the key to Chesterton right there. Hmm. Evolution may be a description, but it's not an explanation. And uh, there's clearly something different about man from all the other animals. And, uh, and, that's the basis of the, of the beginning of the everlasting man uh, thesis there. Uh, and so, you know, man, his first argument, art is the signature of man. The one thing we know about the caveman is that he was an artist and that's mm-hmm. a uniquely human thing. And, um, 
and as far as the the anthropologists and the um, paleontologist trying to explain the behavior of prehistoric man, he says, sometimes it's more dangerous to get between the scientist and his bone than to get between the dog and his bone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he says, the, the, the problem is, the problem with prehistory is that we don't know anything about it. We really don't know anything about it. By its very definition, it's before the written record. Prehistory is before the written record. When the written record begins, he says, the curtain goes up on a play that is already in progress. Mm. The earliest thing we know about man is that, for sure, is that he's civilized. Because he made he made paintings on the wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and then the earliest record of man, the written record, mm-hmm. are from civilization. So mm-hmm. man is civilized when the, when the record begins. And all, everything you do before that is speculation. being a complete thinker and what are some um way i guess compare and contrast him to the the ways that that we're taught to think today and i know you've um helped with the this growing network of chesterton schools uh and you have nearly 60 high schools in the u.s canada italy iraq and sierra leone and i assume in these uh, chesterton schools you're helping to develop complete thinkers Right. So what are the differences, I guess, is shifting to like education, the way that the typical public school kid is taught versus a more complete thinker? So Chesterton, descri- this is Chesterton talking 100 years ago. He describes our modern education system as one wild divorce court that we've <laughs> separated everything from everything else. Mm-hmm. And so students in our schools today are taught a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And they're all in their own distinct watertight compartments. And they don't understand how anything fits together. They don't know how one subject relates to another because they're not taught a comprehensive philosophy about anything. And Chesterton says that the the child in a school today is exposed to educational theories that are younger than he is. We're always trying out new educational theories on our our students. We're experimenting on them. This has been going on for decades and decades. Wow. And, and that's what we continue to see. And we continue to see students who aren't able to think at all because they haven't been taught basic reason, basic logic. So we teach four years of philosophy in a Chesterton Academy. Mm. So that we, we teach faith and reason because the two have to be taught together because they go together. But, you know, no students in our high schools today are taught logic mm-hmm. and they can't understand a, a, a fallacy when they see one. And, they, and they're not taught good... Um, language arts and and great literature so they don't know how to express themselves so the idea of teaching great literature is that you know good readers become good writers and uh there's a connection you know between history and literature because what is history history is the story of salvation it's the story of god's relationship with man that's how we study history we see how has god worked throughout history and and then the facts have some meaning to them but what is literature? Literature is the retelling of the story. It's our own retelling, our 
imaginative retelling mm -hmm. of the same story of the relationship between God and man. What do we study when we're studying science? We're studying God's creation. Uh, and so you're, you're looking at the mind of God when you see the world he's created. Uh, and when you're studying art, well, that's our own creation. And we are made in the image of God, so we are creators too. So art and science actually go together. The modern educational system separates them from each other. Students start showing any creativity, they flush him off to the art department and he's connect, disconnected from everything else except his own wild creativity, mm -hmm. no connection to the history of art and, and to developing great skills. And in science, if they show any technical math skills, they're separated from the art uh, department and then they you know become just numbers and, and uh, mechanical ideas. You have to put the two together. Creativity has to go together with um, the, uh, the facts and the figures and the data. Does that affect? Yeah. Does that affect the way we read the Bible? This uh, tendency now to separate everything. Yeah, ab absolutely. We we have uh, horrible narrow uh, approaches to uh, textual criticism that separate the words from each other and. Uh, you know, we, we, we lose the meaning and the coherence of scripture by our very technical approach to it, you know, as, as has been demonstrated in the last couple of centuries that were the textual critics have emptied the Bible of God himself. Mm -hmm. yeah. 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 So for uh, listeners, textual criticism is the, uh, I guess the art, <laughs> I'll put it like that, the art or science uh, of comparing ancient texts and manuscripts and, and that and seeing what the uh, most, what they would say, authentic and reliable, I guess, versions of, 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 um, of a, like a gospel or of a Bible passage are. Um, but like for me, um, it, it doesn't, like we have, Textual critics have theories of uh, different authorships of books, and they'll say like Isaiah wasn't written by just Isaiah, but there was like four Isaiahs or however many Isaiahs, and and if they're able then to you know quote unquote prove that, then what we're taught then how to react to that is well, well therefore we don't believe any of it. Uh, but even if you take a step back and, and say, you know, um. I don't know. I don't care who all wrote Isaiah or or whatever. It is still um, a masterpiece. It still draws me to God. It still is, you know, amazing. It's it's as if we go to one of uh, a cathedral, a European cathedral, and let's say someone is able to prove that oh, this wasn't uh, built uh, a thousand years ago. It was actually built five hundred years ago. You know. What's our reaction supposed to be? Therefore, we shouldn't believe in the cathedral. It's like, no, it's yeah. still it's still amazing and beautiful and better than anything we could do today, and it's still uh, life transforming. Like, but because of that tendency to separate everything, and because we think if in one area we can you know disprove a certain part, then these other aspects don't uh, um, don't need to have a say in it anymore. I guess. Yeah, it, it kind of, it, it's funny, you know, go to one of the Psalm 4. It says, O men, how long will your hearts be closed? Will you love what is futile and seek what is false? Hmm. That's that's what we're, so many people in the secular educational world are 
taking up it's a futile operation they're seeking what is false mm -hmm. instead of looking for the truth they're trying to do everything they can to avoid the truth and you know they end up making themselves into fools chesterton does just the opposite he's always looking for the truth and always sees god's hand in everything and sees that it's a work of love and and he's just drawn to it and he, he reacts reacted to it with a sense of wonder and we, you know, we've, we've, we've alluded to common sense a couple of times here, Lee. <clears throat> you know, common sense is the, the truth that we all know to be true, whether we think about it or not, or, mm -hmm. or whether even it's been pointed out to us or not. But when we hear it, when we see it, we know right away that it's true. It's a common sense is the, is the sense that we all share, mm -hmm. even when we deny it. Yeah, I was thinking about that that phrase, common sense, you know, last night as I was thinking about this episode. And common, it's like what we all have in common, it's, right. you know. And then sense, uh, you know, I think of one of the senses: sight, yeah. touch, feeling. Is is common sense? You know, the sixth sense or a sense that maybe maybe we all share. I don't know, but um, well, you know, you you mentioned Chester's book on Thomas Aquinas, yeah, and and there in that book he argues you know, using Thomas's ideas, who's using Aristotle's ideas, is that we can only get to the physical world through our five senses. And we have to, we can be deceived, that's true. But for the most part, we can rely on our senses as windows to a reality that is really there. And that's, those are the senses that we all share to get to the same truth that is outside of ourselves. We're not making it up inside ourselves. Mm -hmm. The truth is outside of ourselves, mm -hmm. and we're trying to access it, and we have to do it through not, nothing else except those five senses, those five windows to the world. And there's a balance, though, between what we're adding to it, you know, through our senses, not adding, but 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 then there is, is still an outside world, Yep. <laughs> like outside yeah. of us. So, yeah. and that's what Aquinas and probably Chesterton was saying, too, Um what why do you like why do you think today we've moved from common sense we've moved from uh this i guess our physical um our physicality in our assessment of the world and so that that's led to some crazy things right where uh we, we don't trust our senses our eyes to to determine what something is anymore um why, why, why have we gotten away from that? Why? Because that's more, you know, Chesterton was a big guy, a big body, but that's more of an embodied way of living where you bring yourself into it and that like you, you matter in your interactions with the world. Yeah. I, I think the question can be answered uh, quite a bit by the, uh, the downfall of modern philosophy as we have moved away from the classical thinkers such as Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas and gone to a, a more subjective approach to truth that everyone starts making their own reality. That's what the, mm. uh, the modern philosophers have done to us. And uh, so nothing and they, in common anymore. Yeah. It's a, yeah. And everyone can you just do away with all the categories and make your own categories. And, you know, I think it's epitomized by, by Nietzsche and, you know, we, we've moved beyond good and evil you know, there's no God anymore. So we have to just be a better form of man. Now we have to evolve to a better form of, of what was, and, you know, it's all moving towards nothing because uh, the problem of progress is that we haven't defined what it is. Our, our goal 
uh, we're just trying to leave the past behind. That's all we're ever trying to do with a progressive mentality. Did Chesterton talk about Nietzsche in any of his? Yeah, he did. In fact, he talks about him in, uh, in Orthodoxy. It's amazing how well he analyzed Nietzsche so early um, that, uh, that, that clearly, well, in fact, I think it's epitomized by uh, the chapter in Orthodoxy called The Maniac, that if you take any modern philosophy to its logical conclusions, it leads to madness. If you take Nietzsche's theory mm. seriously, it will it will drive you insane. In fact, it drove Nietzsche it himself. Yeah, it did. Yeah. Wow. And yet we take these things seriously. We teach them to our our students. It's yeah. it's insane. Yeah. What are do you have a favorite Chesterton work? Um, I like yeah, all, all of them. <laughs> all of them. <laughs> Which child do you like the most? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh. I think Orthodoxy is one of those book, books that you have to read, but uh, read What's Wrong with the World as well and uh, An Everlasting Man. But what I recommend for people who haven't read any Chesterton is just start with a book of essays because his essays are very uh, accessible. You can read one at one sitting and and then you can start again later on. It's And you'll get a, a sense of his wonderful quotability and his you know, pinpoint uh, uh, assessments of the truth. And he just, he just speaks to your heart and it's, it's, you have to let him read you. That's, that's what I recommend. Let him read you. He's very, he is very humble, uh, which it, it's a paradox with him, I think, because he, he, he comes across as um, like, like he, he, he knows the truth, <laughs> but he says it in such a, in such a way that's very disarming uh, very charming too, uh, which is a great appeal. Um, his sense of humor is, uh, as as you've mentioned, a couple of examples is very, it's very disarming, very humbling. And I, I've heard like anecdotes about him and George Bernard Shaw and kind of the fun relationship they had with each other while even debating each other too. Yeah, I think the other thing we should mention um, for all the C.S. Lewis fans is that. Um, the Everlasting Man was the book that was most responsible for C.S. Lewis's conversion to Christianity. That was the book that he was an atheist mm. when he started reading it. And after finishing it, he, he realized that uh, this was the, the most, uh, the, the, the most uh, logical explanation of Christianity that he'd ever read. And he said, a young man who's serious about his atheism cannot be too careful about what he reads. <laughs> yeah. Lewis said that. Yeah. 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 There, there's a part of the liar lunatic Lord uh, argument in yeah. everlasting man that, that Lewis teases out even more. Yeah. Um, he, but he, he lifts it from the everlasting yeah. man. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. From your Christianity. Yeah. There's going to be in March, uh, there'll be a new version of the uh, Everlasting Man annotated that that I've worked, I've done the annotations for. If people want to wait till March to get that from Word on Fire uh, Press, uh, that'll probably be a, a more accessible way to read wow. that. Book. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what? So what's the Society of G.K. Chesterton? I, you know, that website, there's, it's multifaceted. You have uh, podcasts, um, a magazine. Uh, tell us a little bit about the society, how people can get it, maybe get involved or, or utilize it. Yeah. So Chesterton.org is the website, Chesterton.org. And uh, 
you you did mention the magazine and and uh, we publish books. We sell we sell books from Chester uh, by and about Chesterton. It's a a good way to to find the source material. There's a lot of information on the website about uh, Chesterton. So we the purpose of the uh, society is to promote a, a wider interest and deeper interest in the writings and ideas of G.K. Chester because he's so prophetic and so uh, applicable and, and and timely right now, a uh, hundred years after his uh, his his life, and uh, and he really does bring great joy. And mm. I think he's he's a good companion, and that's what we're trying to uh, to demonstrate. And people who read Chesterton are always benefited by it. And then, of course, the other, the other aspect of our work is we we do run the Chesterton Schools Network now, and that's just growing phenomenally. We'll we'll have almost seventy schools next year. Wow, there's uh, like there's local um, Chesterton groups in various areas. I went went on in my area, and I found that there's there's one of the oldest ones in Chicago. Oh yeah, uh, great. But what are those? What are those Chesterton groups that? Get- yeah, so the, the local Chester societies are really a very simple thing. They're they're basically book clubs that discuss Chesterton writings and, or and related writings. So they get together on a regular basis. Sometimes it's intimidating to read a Chesterton book by yourself, but when you're reading it with a group of other people uh, in a discussion group, others can bring out things that you may have missed. And and of course people who read Chesterton are always very interesting folks. And so it's always a fun group to, to share with. And it's, I have to say it's a very ecumenical group too, because mm-hmm. uh, Catholics and Protestants both like Chesterton a lot. Yeah, for sure. What do you think as we uh, wrap up here, well, what are, what are some things Chesterton would say to our uh, crazy world today? Well, you know, we're, you're either moving towards God or you're moving away from God. And, um, um and he's, you know, he says that a, a a nation is like an individual soul. It's 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 moving one direction or the other, wow. and uh, a nation can repent just like an individual can repent. I think that's one of his nice insights. We can either keep going on this road that we're on, which will lead to our destruction, or we can turn around and have a a cultural wide revival and. Maybe do great things again and build great cathedrals and build a beautiful society again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's always up to us. We decide. We have to decide which which direction we're going to go on this road, either toward God or away from God. Mm-hmm. It starts with the individual and with the, with a family too. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Thanks for coming on the show today. It's good. A great pleasure. Good to meet you. Glad to have you on. Um, I encourage people to um, look up Dr. Dale Alquist's uh, books, uh, such as The Complete Thinker or, or The Apostle of Common Sense, and to visit chesterton.org and to dig more into G.K. Chesterton. He will bring joy to your heart, a smile to your face. Uh, I like listening to uh, the audiobooks because it actually helps me uh, uh Hearing somebody else and in, in their interpretation, you know, of the text helps keep me moving and understanding, um, like orthodoxy, for instance. So, I commend those resources uh, to people too. But this has been uh, episode uh, 103 of the podcast. People who want to learn more, go to bumperstickerfaith.com and uh, we'll see you next time.